You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. And God is so good to us, and today we want to go to God's Word and find what He has to say to us. Now, sometimes the Lord has something sweet for us, and other times He has something strong. Well, guess what you get today? Something strong. So if you will, stand with me. And I want to bring you to the last few verses of our text. I'm going to spare you the reading of 53 verses. And all God's people said, but you're probably not going to say amen when I read these verses to you at the end. Because it starts out like this. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Wow. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one. And that's a direct reference to Jesus, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Brothers and sisters, that is a strong word. But I want you to know it is the gospel Yes, this is the gospel according to Stephen, but we'll find today that this is just the sweet gospel of Jesus. Let us lean in close to hear what Stephen has to say to us, and I pray you will open your heart and mind uh, to the salvation that Jesus wants to give you through his blood and the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage as hard as it is. May it open our minds. May our hearts, Lord, be broken if need be that we may receive you and the beautiful gospel you have for us. Thank you, Jesus, for your love, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, CNBC reported in 2022 a uh, survey that was done of employers as they were talking about the resumes they received, and the news was not good. The news was basically this, that 55% of people have, in one way or another, enhanced their resumes. Now, enhanced is just another way of saying they lied. But nonetheless, that is scary. That is shocking. I have to tell you, I wish it was different in the ministry world, but I've been around the block a few times. I've seen some things. I've been on some search committees. I can tell you it happens in the church too. But here's what's interesting. Yeah, sometimes people pad the resume and make it look like they've done more good things than they've actually done. But what I've noticed is, is that the more common occurrence is, is to not include failures. We tend to want to tell the story in such a way that we look a little better than we actually are. That's not just true in the business world. I think this is true in the spiritual world as well. Now, when we look at what's going on in Stephen's life, this entire chapter is about Stephen, and it has the longest sermon in the book of Acts. Stephen's sermon is the longest sermon, those 53 verses that I referred to earlier, and I just gave you the end. I happen to give you sort of the punch, okay? The rest of the sermon is sort of a historical survey of the Old Testament. It takes a long time to read, and I'm going to go over some of it, but we're just going to skim through that because I want you to see where he's going and why he does this. If we go back to chapter 6, we see that Stephen is in trouble with the Jewish authorities for, on two accounts. They say that he is not being faithful to the words of Moses, and they're also claiming that he's trying to change their religious practices around the temple. 
Now, those two things are, they sound minor maybe to your ears, but in those days, those were two charges that could lead to Stephen's death. In fact, Stephen knows that he is a condemned man. He is preaching to the people who are going to literally stone him and kill him. So, you know, when I'm preaching on Sunday morning, uh, the most I can expect is a bad email after church. And Stephen was going to get get stoned in this. And so that's important to know because he is fearless in how he approaches. Now, having just read the end of the sermon to you, isn't that amazing that he could say such straightforward, hard words even in this moment of stress? If you remember last week, we said that Stephen, when he was being talked down to, he had the face of an angel. But I believe that he has more than just the face of an angel here. He has the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment in a spiritual sense. Do you realize that you've been building a resume, a spiritual resume? And when we are under conviction, when we begin to realize that we need Jesus in our hearts... It's something that we want to do. We seem to feel the need to convince Jesus that we're worthy of being one of his. But here's the deal. Jesus already knows all of the elements of your spiritual resume. He already knows all of your faults and failures. There is no need to embellish or enhance in any way. He knows your heart. And I want to tell you this morning, here's where the gospel starts to creep in. He knows our sins and loves us still. And when we look at the Bible, you're not the only one with some uh, issues from your past. Almost, without exception, every person in the Bible, we learn about their faults as much as we learn about their successes. Friends, it is okay to be able to say that you have failed in your walk with the Lord, that you have failed in this thing called life. Jesus understands this. What can't happen, though, is that we continue to try to tell God that we're okay, that we don't necessarily need him. No, we need to constantly, constantly surrender our hearts to him. I think about how the Bible really shows us that there's only one true hero, and it's God. It's, it's Jesus. Really, that's the only hero. Study Christian history and learn from the great preachers and missionaries from the past. It's a wonderful thing. But when you read those biographies, you're still reading about men and women who had faults and failures. In fact, the very best of them were very open about those things. They were open to the Lord, and they were open with their congregations, It's important that we remember that this is a a, a key part of our growth as Christians, that we are willing to open up, to allow the light of Scripture and the light that the Spirit unveils on us. We just allow that to reveal the sin in our hearts. The Hebrew people had tried to sort of make their resume better. In fact, that's their point. The reason why they're getting after Stephen is, is that Stephen is questioning The history, the history books. He's making it sound like the Jewish people have done something wrong. And they think that they have been blessed and God is blessed and they've done everything right. But if you look closely at the sermon, Stephen wants them to see that no, it's not about how great they are. It's about how great God is. And so he decides to walk them through their own history and point out that it's not about them But it's all about God. I want to say to you this morning, it is not about us here at Ridgecrest. We are not trying to make much of ourselves. We want to make much of Jesus. 
We understand here at Ridgecrest that we are all sinners saved by grace. I'm encouraging you right now. I know that some of you have a spiritual resume that looks suspect. And I know that sometimes we are ashamed of what's happened in the past. I get that. But at some point, you need to realize that the blood of Jesus has forgiven you. And all of those stains of sin are wiped clean by the blood of Christ. That's the gospel of Stephen, but that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, what we do is we start at this place. The only way to receive gospel grace is to own our personal sin. So let's start right there. Friend, it is imperative that at some point in your life, you talk to Jesus and tell him that you know that he knows. You know that he knows that you have sin in your life. And you know that the only way to have that sin taken away is by the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where it starts, brothers and sisters, and that is the way to salvation. And I pray today, if you do not know Christ, you will find him. Now, let's begin by thinking about this whole picture of what we're looking at here in chapter 7 of Acts in this way. God is at work in grimy places. I would say, moms out there, if you hear the word grimy, that's not a good word for you, right? You don't like the thought of grimy. When things are grimy, that means that uh, the kids have been at it again and, and, and making, making a mess, all right? But I want you to know this chapter is truly about God at work in grimy places. So I want you just in your mind's eye to imagine walking into a poorly lit room. You really can't see what's going on around you, but it doesn't matter how good your vision is. You know how this is. If you walk into an incredibly dirty room, you do not need to have much light to know that it's dirty. You can feel the dirt or the grime under the soles of your feet. You can smell the mustiness and the dust. You can almost, it just almost feels like it's creeping in on you. When you've walked into a room that maybe has been abandoned, that's very dirty, I want you to get that image in your mind. I think that sometimes when we're reading the scriptures, we, uh, we think that we're just looking at all these wonderful things that have happened, all these wonderful people who have done wonderful things. But really, let me tell you what's going on, and Stephen does a good job of this. Stephen actually is with us as we walk into the grimy room, and I have one of these lights. We have one of these lights at the house. I got it at Bass Pro Shop, and I think it has about an eighth of the power of the sun so when I click it, it like will blind you. And uh, so we use that to take the dog out because when we're in the backyard taking the dog out, well, we need to see things, okay? That's just the way it is. And when we do, the neighbors have to shut their, their curtains because, I mean, it lights up the whole backyard, that one little light. Well, just imagine that Stephen comes beside you and he lights up that light. And now all of a sudden he's walking with you through the Old Testament. And you begin to realize that you, you kind of knew that there were some bad things going on back there, that these, these people in the Old Testament had some sin in their life. But he's going to turn on the flashlight in such a way that he won't let you see anything else but the reality of their sinfulness. You see, the people of God don't often don't act very godly. And Stephen is trying to show that because he's talking to people who are self-righteous, who think that they are good because of what they do. And what we need to understand in the gospel is we are not good because of what we do. We are good because of what Jesus did for us. Our righteousness is not about keeping score of all the good things we've done, but our righteousness is because Christ has shined his light on our hearts, helped us to see the sin, and not only did he show us the sin, but he took it away. You see, God is at work in grimy places, and I hate to tell you, but your heart is a grimy place. 
Your heart is a grimy place. Any place where sin is and remains is grimy. The dirt of sin remains. When we look at the Old Testament, we see again and again the failures. The failures of these famous people. But we also begin to realize that the point of Scripture, notice this, is not human activity. The point of Holy Scripture is to show us God at work. Friends, never get caught up in the personalities, whether we're talking about in the Bible or even in the modern church movement. We're always looking for a a great teacher or preacher, and that's wonderful. We have wonderful biographies. We can read about great Christians in the past. But hear this. The most beautiful thing to behold in the world is the work of God through people. God is great. Go to the Rocky Mountains. It's beautiful. Go to the ocean. It's beautiful. God is a a maker of beautiful things. But I'm here to tell you, in my experience over the past 30 years, the most beautiful things I have seen are those moments when God is at work through people like us. When God takes someone with grime in their hearts, sin in their past, and begins to work in their lives in a big way, that is a beautiful thing. So what does Stephen do? Well, he sheds light on the reality of the Old Testament. Let me walk you through it very quickly. In verses 4 through 7, he speaks of Abraham. Now, we don't see a lot of personal sin dirt there, but what we do realize with Abraham, for his part, he didn't have much going for him. Here's a guy who was brought out of paganism, and he was told that there was going to be a promised land that his descendants would get, but he wouldn't get any of that. And we are told that he heard God and believed in God, and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. And so what Stephen does here is he begins by saying, listen, we can't brag and boast about who we are because we are a people who came from nowhere. Abraham is an example of someone that is blessed by God for no other reason than God just loves him. So here's the message for you. Just like Abraham, God loves you not because of your past successes. I don't know why he loves you, but I promise you he does. He loves me not because of anything I've done, but because he just does. Know this, the love of God is not predicated on your actions. The love of God just flows and by faith we receive it. We open our heart to this love, and it changes everything. That's one thing Abraham teaches us. What about Joseph? Well, he goes into Joseph's story. Now, there we see sin. Verses 9 through 16 talk about Joseph's story. And Joseph, so much, wasn't the sinner, but he was certainly sinned against. Now, catch this. A group of people in Stephen's day are talking about how great and godly the people are. Just keep in mind that the brothers of Joseph are the ones who became the heads of the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. So just let that settle in. No matter what tribe you were a part of, you had an ancestor who tried to sell a brother into slavery. And you're bragging about how holy your past is. That's just silliness. Stephen is saying we are silly if we think that our heritage makes us better than other people. In fact, our story shows how much grime we have in our room. Moses then becomes the focus of the story, and he's the main focus, verses 17 through 44. And kind of notice how it walks it all the way through in all those verses. A lot is said about Moses. Now, the reason why is because remember one of the things that his adversary, Stephen's adversary, say about him? They say that you're misquoting Moses. Go back to chapter 6, end of the chapter, you'll see that. They say you're misrepresenting Moses. So here's what he does. He spends the majority of his sermon saying, no, I am not representing, misrepresenting Moses, but you sure are. And he goes in to begin to tell the story of Moses. 
Now, Moses is a guy who starts out his career by murdering someone. Not exactly the best thing on your resume if you want to be a preacher and leader of God's people. So he starts out murdering an Egyptian. He goes out into the wilderness and he does a pretty good job uh, for a while of managing flocks. God calls him out of that, has him go before Pharaoh, leads his people out into the wilderness to lead them to the promised land. He is listening to God. His face even shone brightly, which means he was in the presence of God. So there's a lot of things that Moses is doing right. He's telling God's people, here's the law, here's what we need to do. And God's people said, no thank you. They rebelled. The sons of Korah said, you just think you're righteous. We're all righteous. We don't need your word. They constantly rebelled. They made false idols. In fact, if you look in the text, we are told there in verses 42 and 43, they didn't just have some minor problems with idols, but they went after gods like Moloch, who was one that you've sacrificed children to. This was the most egregious, nasty god of the ancient Near East. They didn't just go pagan. They went all the way to paganism. That's dirt. They're in the room. In fact, what we see here is, is that he goes on and says, you know, talking about the tabernacle and the tent and the temple, all those things. He says, you know, you guys are talking about me mis- misrepresenting the holy place. But he goes through in these verses and begins to show them that God isn't about a place. God is everywhere. Notice it says there in verse 49. Look, at, look there with me. Uh, God says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? So here's the thing. The Hebrew people are saying to Stephen, you are not honoring the temple. And Stephen says, listen, you guys are putting all your emphasis on the temple when God owns it all. You see, it's not about the place. I will never believe that Ridgecrest is the only show in town. Friends, we are one of many Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches. We, we lock arms in arms with partners who love Jesus and want to serve Jesus. We know that we cannot reach everybody, but together and working with other churches in cooperation, if we will humble ourselves, we can reach the world for Jesus. That's what we're here for. We are not here believing that this is the only place where God can work. We want to go everywhere where God is working. That's how we work here. We believe that. And Stephen is saying, hey, my God can work in the temple and my God can work everywhere else too. But here we see this light shined upon the Old Testament. And what we see is that there is some grit and grime. Friends, we must never forget that God is at work. But we must never stop believing that God can bring amazingly good things out of evil. Now, the second thing I want to show you here is that there is hope born from suffering. I've already touched on this, so let me just zip through this part. I want you to realize that Stephen is about to suffer, but he wants his audience, the people who are persecuting him, to realize that even though God's people have failed miserably over the years and suffered according to their sins, listen to this, Jesus may forgive you of your sins, but that doesn't mean you will never suffer because of your sins. But in, in, in suffering for your sins, don't give up hope. Because if you have Jesus, he will help you through. The suffering isn't the end for you when you have Jesus. We have heaven. Now, the Old Testament is filled with stories of men and women who are flesh and blood, who make mistakes, who cry out to God in the deepest depths of despair, and God answered. In fact, if we look at Abraham, Abraham's an interesting case because if anybody could have been hopeless, it would have been him. God says, I'm going to give you a son. He's 100 years old. Then have a son. God gives him a son in his old age. God says, I'm going to give you a promised land to your descendants, but I'm not going to give it to you. So Abraham had to live his whole life 
uh, in terms of delayed gratification. He was not going to get it. He had to believe that God was going to give it to the future. Listen, church, we need to understand it is not about us. It is not about us being the ones that, that, that have all the success. Our job is to build foundations for the kingdom of God to continue working in Ridgecrest and Springfield and around the world. I want to see this church filled every Sunday, and we're going to work hard to witness and have people come in. We want to see people know, come to know Jesus and grow in their faith. But friends, what I want to do is see us build something that will outlive us. And our children and our children's children, we are here to, to pour everything in for Jesus. And that doesn't necessarily mean we'll get anything out of it. Abraham teaches us that. There's hope even in that kind of suffering. Joseph, that story is all about hope and suffering. He gets sold out by his brothers. And yet God uses that terrible sin to deliver his brothers' lives from famine and death. God can take negatives and turn them into positives. That's what God does. He brings amazing hope out of suffering. And Moses was a man who knew suffering. Some of his suffering was due to his own sins. We've already mentioned his murder as a young man and murdering someone. But I want to tell you where we really see Moses shine is how he is able to somehow deal with all the griping and complaining and moaning and groaning of God's people. So here again, you have... Uh, Stephen's adversary is saying, our history is so great and our people are so good. And Stephen's like, have you even read the Pentateuch? Have you even read Numbers and Deuteronomy? Because in any reading of those texts, God's people, the ones who are anointed, those who are given all the blessings of grace, can't seem to find a minute to say a good thing about Moses, God, or anybody else. All they have time to do is complain. Listen, you can't be proud of that. Stephen says you can't be proud of that. We have too many instances like this in our history, Stephen says, because Moses wasn't listened to. So he says, listen up, guys, you are telling me that I'm not listening to Moses. Well, nothing new. That's what we've been known as throughout our history as not listening. But even there, there is hope. There is hope because God is a forgiving God. You see, suffering doesn't have to be the last word for the child of God. I want you to know that this morning, even if, now hear this, sometimes we suffer because of the sins of others, and sometimes we suffer because of our own sin. But I want you to know that regardless of your suffering, regardless of how sin has impacted you, just know this, the cross of Jesus is greater than all of our sin. Suffering doesn't get the last word because the cross is stronger. Amen? That's the gospel according to Stephen, and that's the gospel according to Jesus Christ. One more thing that Stephen shows here is that true faith is more than mere religion. Now, Stephen is talking to a bunch of people who are very religious, and they are accusing Stephen of being false in his religion. And he is not keeping the traditions. Now, we need to understand there's a big difference between what God's word says and what we say it says. It's not just a problem 2,000 years ago. It's a problem today. Sometimes we'll read the text in such a way that it sort of backs up our own presuppositions. And I want to tell you, that's what Stephen is facing. He is facing a group of people who have not been doing this for a generation, but they've been doing it for generations, for hundreds of years, they had decided to go their own way in interpreting the scriptures, and they chose not to hear the bits about the coming Messiah. That's why they didn't catch Jesus. They didn't catch on to Jesus coming. 
They put Moses on this pedestal that he didn't deserve to be on, that Moses was rolling over in his grave, wherever his grave is, because we don't know where he's buried, but he's rolling over in his grave because he was never meant to be worshipped. He was just meant to point people to God and to the prophet that was coming after him. You see, Moses was all about Jesus, but the Jews of Jesus' day were not all about Jesus. And I want to tell you, in the church today, we need to ask ourselves the question, are we all about Jesus because sometimes when we look at church and what we do and how we act and how we behave, how we talk, how we walk, sometimes uh, Jesus doesn't seem to be the most important thing. Sometimes it seems like that we're chasing after our own dreams and our own ego trips. Listen, what we need to realize is, is that anybody who gets caught up in doing things for any reason other than the glorification of Jesus Christ is wasting their time. When we have Jesus in our hearts, it is not about mere religion. It is about building that relationship, going deeper in with Jesus. Listen, the best thing in the world, church, is not for us to have more amazing programs. The best thing in the world for us is to be more like Jesus in the way we walk and the way we talk and everything about us. We need more of Jesus. We need less of us. You see, that's one of the things that Stephen is showing us as you go through here. If you look closely at verses 44 through 50, He uses the tabernacle, the temple, as his illustration. He's saying, listen up, guys. The truth is, you're telling me that I'm changing things in the temple. But he's reminding them that before the temple was a tabernacle. And before the tabernacle, they didn't have anything. It was never about the place. It was never about that little spot of real estate in Jerusalem. It was always about a living God. Church, we need to make sure that we are serving the living God. Let me tell you what I've learned about the living God. The living God moves his people in ways that they could never imagine. The things you think are not God's thoughts necessarily. We need to open our hearts to the reality that just because we think it doesn't mean that God uh, thunk it. Is that a word? Don't think so, but we're going to go with that. It is not true. Just because it entered your mind doesn't doesn't baptize it in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You need to realize, though, that God does work among his people. And when he begins to work, there is consensus with pastors, elders, deacons, church members. That's the reason why we have something like a democracy. That's why we have business meetings. We believe that the Spirit of God works in all of us, and we need to work together. Now, hear me out. Churches that don't allow the voice of the people to be spoken. There are other denominations that do polity different than us. And you'll find almost every time when it's just the pastors in charge, the church goes away from the scriptures. Denominations that stay close to the word are churches where the people hold the leaders accountable to the word. That's one of the blessings we have as Baptists. I know. You can get on the news, watch the news, and see how bad Baptists are. Let me tell you something. The people who complain the most about Baptists are just jealous that we keep reaching people for Jesus in spite of all these things. Listen, it's not how great the Baptist convention is, not at all, but here's the deal. I believe that we can do great things for God even though we've made mistakes in the past. I want to see us be a people of reconciliation. I believe that it's not about religion. Religion says, you crossed the line, I'm done with you. But grace says, I love you. If you'll come home, prodigal son, I'll feed you. I'll love you. (laughs) That's what I love about Jesus. He has had a thousand reasons to throw me away. Maybe more. And I don't know why, but he keeps picking me up and dusting me off. He keeps pointing me forward. And he'll do the same for you. 
You see, the gospel is more than religion. The gospel is life. The conclusion is this. There is gospel hope to stiff-necked people. Yeah, God's talking to you. We are stiff-necked. The gospel of Stephen finishes here in verses 51, 52, and 53 with harsh words. He reminds them that they're behaving like their fathers, and that is not a compliment. He says, you're acting like your fathers, verse 51, and that's not okay. He first says that they're stiff-necked. I've always known what the word stiff-necked meant. I know what it means in the Hebrew context, the Greek, all that kind of stuff, but I want to tell you, Hebrew and Greek don't mean anything. Just get old, and you'll learn what a stiff neck is. You know, I've noticed lately that just turning over in bed at night, it sounds like Rice Krispies. Now, they're great for for breakfast, but uh, pop, pop, pop is not fun, you know, just trying to lay there and go to sleep. Now, a few months ago, I went to Kenya. We had a great trip. Uh, Brother Mike, we we had a great trip, but I had to sit next to him on a plane for 20 hours. And that wasn't the problem. The problem was, as you know, we were like this and like this. And my neck got into a position that I couldn't get it out of for three months. I've spent a lot of time at the chiropractor, and it does. It sounds like a Gatlin gun going off when he pops my neck. Now, I'm just assuming one of these times it's just going to fall off. My head's going to fall off. And that probably is is what's going to be happening. But nonetheless, uh, stiff-necked. When something is stiff, it's hard, it's, it's unmovable, Let me tell you, that makes it brittle and breakable. See, stiff-necked is not about the discomfort of not being able to look around, although that's true. But I want you to realize, stiff-necked means that all it's going to take is one well-placed strike and your neck will break. And I believe that when you look in the Old Testament, you see a lot of broken lives because people, instead of allowing the life-giving flow of God to keep them supple and moving around, To keep them fresh, they continually try to do it their own way, and that never works. That's where we get the phrase uncircumcised in heart. This is something Paul used as well in terms of a metaphor. He says, you know, it's not just going through religious motions of circumcision, for instance, being a part of Israel. He's saying, you can have all the outward signs, but if your heart isn't changed... And see, that's one of the things that Stephen is pointing out. He's saying, listen, you guys are doing all the outside stuff, but what about your hearts? Friends, I want to ask you, what about your heart? You may be stiff-necked, and that's bad, but, but what really concerns me is the state of our hearts. Are, are, are we just, are we okay with putting out a false resume to the world? Listen, you can trick the world, but you'll never, freak, for, you'll never be able to trick Jesus. He cannot be fooled. He cannot be fooled. He knows your hearts. Remember that. Remember that. Be humble before the Lord. You can put on the show, but Jesus is never, ever going to buy it. He only wants you to be honest. In fact, notice this. They are told. Stephen says, the people of God have been resisting the Holy Spirit. But notice he doesn't just say, you do it from time to time. Do you see the qualifier there in the verse? How often do they do it? Always. Church, I just want to encourage you. We can do a lot of things poorly, but we cannot fail here. We must always be sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit of Jesus. We must always be seeking his voice. Let his voice drown out every other voice. These words that Stephen speaks, 
He says even further, he says, not only are you stiff-necked, not only are you uncircumcised in heart, not only are you always resisting the Holy Spirit, but that has led you to kill the prophets and eventually the righteous one, capital R, capital O, Jesus. You crucified Jesus. So you finally got what you've been looking for, the savior of your soul, and you rejected it. Stephen finishes with a strong word of condemnation. It looks like there's no hope, but I want to tell you the gospel of Stephen is not about a gospel of no hope. It is a gospel that confronts us with the reality of sin. Your hearts are grimy. You have issues of sin that only Jesus can work with. But he wants to work with you. Sinners must hear hard things if their hard hearts will be broken. And when Jesus breaks a hard heart, Ezekiel tells us that he gives us a heart of flesh. He allows your heart to function as it ought. So let me say that the gospel of Stephen is for you. He is calling these people to come to Jesus. And there is room for stiff-necked sinners at the cross. If it were true for these individuals in Acts 7, it is true for you and me today. I want you to realize what Stephen is saying. He's saying to the guys who were partly responsible in the worldly sense for putting Jesus on the cross, he's telling them that their sins can be forgiven. I think Stephen, if he were here today, if God animated him and let him speak to you, he would say the same thing to you. Yeah, sure, you have a past, you have a history. You've maybe been putting on a show in terms of religion. You have the dirt and grime of sin. You've been selling a resume that you know you can't sell, but Jesus loves you. And if you'll receive him today, there is forgiveness in his name. I wonder how many of you have been resisting that voice, that impulse, How long will you continue to be hard-hearted when all Jesus wants to do is save your heart from sin, death, and the grave? The gospel of Stephen is the gospel of Jesus. It's a gospel to people who have failed. It's a gospel to people who have fallen short of the glory of God. But it is a gospel to people who, when they confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, when they cast their cares and sins upon him, they are saved. That gospel is is for you this morning. Receive it. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit ridgecrestbaptist.org.